FM Radio for the Agile Community. www.agile.fm Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. Today I have two guests actually. Uh, the two guests are uh, Johanna Rothman and Mark Kilby. And uh, they're both well known in the uh, industry. Johanna has written numerous, numerous books. Uh, she can be reached at uh, at Twitter at Johanna Rothman and uh, Mark Kilby is a community organizer in, in Florida and uh, his name is out there and he speaks and talks a lot about distributed teams and today on this podcast we're going to talk about a book they have uh, released and the book is called From Chaos to Successful Distributed Agile Teams, subtitle Collaborate to Deliver and that is, the title already has a lot of um, uh, insights in it because there is an assumption of there could be chaos and uh, collaboration is a big piece, right? Uh, but before we get started, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on the book release. Well, thank you so much. Oh, yes, definitely. Thank you, Joe. Great to be back on again, too. That's true. We uh, we podcasted a few years ago uh, on Agile mm -hmm. FM. Uh, was also, we touched on distribution, among other things, and uh, now this is the book. Now, in a moment like this, uh, you guys do not live um, in the same city. You guys don't work in the same office. So somehow this book was written in a distributed fashion. Um, how do you guys celebrate a moment like this? <laughs> <laughs> we often do a high five to the camera. Yes. <laughs> and Virtual fist bumps, high fives. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah, definitely. Humor is a big part of pair writing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we we collaborated as a distributed team and we pair wrote all of the book. We 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 pair wrote everything except for the images because mm -hmm. we could not really figure out how to collaborate on the image. So we would share our screens and mm -hmm. then say um I if I if Mark was was typing, I would say do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then if I was typing, he would say, go there, make a layer. What's a layer? Yeah. Right. So I, mm -hmm. I learned all kinds of stuff about layers. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. um, so it was it just, just like in, in, in it, the, the two of us were taking turns driving and, and navigating, but at the same time, we we're also learning from each other. So that was, that was the great thing about it. this being my first book. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and for Johanna, not being her first book, I, I learned quite a bit on the, the writing and publishing process. And I was able to give her a few tips on tools along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you work in an actual company that is a distri distributor. We're going to talk about some of those uh, tips, right. tricks, and potential um, pitfalls. But um, obviously, the, the you guys know each other from conferences. You have met mm -hmm. in person, right? So, so there's definitely a, a pre-connect prior to the to the writing. But um, we actually, the reason I'm asking is, we had a one time I worked in an environment that was with distributed teams, and we had great success. And the big question was, how do we how do we celebrate? Um, what is what is appropriate in a distributed way? How is a how is a party gonna look like in a distributed way? Very good question. So for well, let me let me put it a couple of ways. So one for Johanna and I as a pair writing team, there's one approach. In the teams I work with, there's some other approaches. So let me let me start with uh, how we pair wrote and and Johanna, mm -hmm. uh, please jump in. So 
as we would go through different stages, sometimes just sketching a rough outline mm -hmm. or um, trying to get a chapter of the book done, there were many celebrations almost every day because we would kind of set a goal for ourselves for the day and we would push each other a little bit to try to hit that goal. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of our collaborations really were like 30 to 60 minutes a day. Uh, no writing on the weekends. We gave ourselves a break. So mm -hmm. we, we celebrated the weekends mm -hmm. <laughs> that way. Nice. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but every day was really like uh, a micro celebration. And then as we hit these big milestones, like the ebook was done and we, we had that out, uh, mm -hmm. that, that was another huge celebration where we'd high five, uh, mm -hmm. or a fist bump on the screen, but also in social media, uh, and our blogs, we would we would kind of celebrate each other mm -hmm. and and give kudos to each other, and then you would see the kudos come in from the community because right. of our different connections. We have some overlap in our communities, but there there is uh, are unique to our networks, mm -hmm. and it was just good to see that kind of echoing of congratulations as we right. get, we got to different. Yeah. That was celebrations for us. For teams, it, it's a little bit different. But I, I want to see if Johanna had, to, had anything to add in. So what you notice about what Mark said is that we, we were able to finish something every single day. And when, when I'm a huge fan of small stories, I'm a huge fan of teams being able to finish something every single day. And we lived that. And because we lived that... We didn't need a big celebration, mm -hmm. although um, I'm sure that the next time we see each other in person, we will have a big celebration. But we were able to literally celebrate every single time we worked together. Right. Every single time. And I, I don't know of too many teams that are able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes the celebrations were not about the book because as we – we're pair writing, we're, we're writing from our home offices, so we're sharing a little bit of our family context as mm -hmm. well. And, and so sharing kind of what, what happened and how we were writing the book within that context, there were some celebrations around things that happened with our family. And so mm -hmm. we would share that as well, hopefully as many teams are, because that impacts the work. You cannot detangle the two. Yeah. So, so Mark, that's a, that's a very good point, and I want to possibly dive a little bit deeper into this because one of the things um, when, when I, you know, I work in, in very different kind of uh, settings with teams and many of them have a distributed factor at, at some point, it's the video camera and somebody working from a home mm -hmm. office, right? And there's stuff going right. on in the background. And, <laughs> um, and, you know, there's definitely something you expose by having a video camera in your, in your home office. Um, so how do you how do you respond to teams that are saying we don't want to do this we we just want to do audio for example um, and and I actually had a, a client team one time they they requested that uh, so it's not really face to face if you're looking at the manifesto right so uh, for for my teams I never force video but I ask them to try to experiment so early on when I've worked with different clients, I get that same reaction. There's, there's a, a version to having any cameras on, mm -hmm. uh, even, even if it's within offices. However, that's, it's kind of strange because if you're in an office, you basically have 
cameras on you all the time. It's called eyeballs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, so you you always have people looking at you and watching what you're doing, even even if you don't have an open plan. Mm-hmm. In the home environment, that's if you have a home office, that's different. Or if you have people working from coffee shops, that's different. So you have to balance and maybe even have some working agreements on where the person in each space is, is sitting, how they're controlling mm-hmm. the background environment. So for instance, in my, my home office, we have a separate home office with a door. My wife and I share the space. Whenever we're on a call, we're usually not in the office at the same time because it's just too difficult. Mm-hmm. But also when I'm doing something like the podcast here, I have some warning lights. Mm-hmm. So they, so the family knows that when the lights are red on the outside, dad is probably recording <laughs> or, yeah. or is on a call. But at the same time, I don't try to block them. So for my internal meetings where my teams do use cameras, I encourage people to let their kids come in the background if they're comfortable with that. So mm-hmm. I, 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 I talk about uh, at Sonatype, every day at Sonatype is like bring your kids to work day if you want. Mm-hmm. So it's not unusual for my kids to come in the background, although they don't do that anymore because they don't want to be introduced to any more of my fellow employees. <laughs> <laughs> my wife will come in. Mm-hmm. So my wife has met Johanna online mm-hmm. that way. For yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I believe that you've met my husband, Mark. Yes. Um, working being married to a Mark and working with a Mark is, is very interesting because I often say my Mark as my husband, Mark, as opposed to you, Mark. Yeah. Um, but what I, what I have done with my clients is uh, I always have my video on. And because I, I model that behavior, they are more likely to turn their video on. Mm-hmm. Not always. But more likely. Mm -hmm. And when I explain to people that um, some of my clients have uh, developers with um, very small New York apartments. Joe, you might live in one of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe yours is larger. (laughs) Um, But you can kind of see the entire apartment from their one room. And you might not want to show somebody in the kitchen. Right. Right. That's so I have asked people if they can turn their monitor around, if that makes sense for them or to introduce the other person or to just not worry about it. I'm actually not going to focus on what is happening in the background. Mm -hmm. I'm focusing on the person. Mm -hmm. And I this is um, I've been searching for a really good metaphor. And the, the best metaphor I have is is dancing. Um, back when we were all in junior high, nobody wanted to be the first one to dance, right? Everyone Mm -hmm. was self-conscious. Everyone thought they looked like idiots. Um, maybe that's just me, Mm -hmm. but then... No, that's, that's still true. That's a universal thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and if you, uh, if you just take that first step and make it easy for other people to join in, then... They are more likely. Now, the only time I actually insist on video uh, where I I have a real request and I I might have a private one-on-one conversation with somebody if they do not turn on their camera is for a retrospective. 
Mm. Because the retro is so important to really get all the data out. And the data is not just quantitative data. The data is qualitative data. Mm -hmm. So we cannot get that without the video. For sure, yes. Um, I had once worked with a uh, client, and in your book you actually... uh, showing the difference between dispersed and distributed, et cetera, right? But there was one time a team that was dispersed, everyone in a different location, and uh, they had a um, an event once a week, uh, once a year, I'm sorry, once a week, once a year, where they came together for one week um, at, at one city in, in the United States where they all met for one week and they strategized and they worked together and also played and had fun. So they always picked a different city. Um, is that an admission that distribution or dispersion in this case doesn't work um, if a team decides on doing this, um, meeting in person? So I think it means it does work, but we need to reconnect as humans. Mm-hmm. And and just working in a distributed fashion or dispersed fashion is not enough. Mm-hmm. We, need, we need that coming together to rebuild trust, to rebuild the human connection, to actually make sure that we are doing the small talk, the little uh, interconnectedness that creates the human connection mm-hmm. between. And and to add to that, and, and I'm, I'm glad you asked this question, I I've, I've certainly worked with co-located teams, although most of my experience is with distributed. But when I've been on off-sites, off-site meetings with co-located teams, I've noticed it's almost all business. It's all, let's get to the work and then get back to our office. Mm-hmm. With our distributed teams, especially the ones I'm working with now, when we bring everyone together, it's really a gathering of community. It's just a very different feel. And even in the meetings, there's a lot of socialization that I see that, that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most, most of the, the face-to-face gatherings that I host now are usually run with open space so that people set their own agenda. They could easily move from breakout to breakout. But with that, there's there's also socialization that's happening throughout and and people connecting or even reconnecting so one of the the things that we we try to do is when we know we have some new hires coming on board we we want to integrate them by bringing them in as close to one of those those gatherings as we can so they get to not not only meet their team which they'll mostly see via camera Mm -hmm. if the team chooses that most most of my teams do but but they get to meet everyone else that they might interact with. And now it's easier for them to reach out, whether it's via chat or email, or mm-hmm. they come across them on another video meeting. That's yet another way to do that. Mm-hmm. A- another extension of that is how do you carry that socialization into the virtual space? So it can be something simple as you know, the water cooler channel, which a lot of companies do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what was interesting at Sonotype is a couple of years ago, we decided that was getting too crowded. So we started special interest groups. I've, I've lost count of how many of those we have now. Mm-hmm. Some are technology based, like different languages and things, or or they there's like an Arduino group, for instance. But some are like a parents group mm-hmm. or a travelers group. 
and there's there's so many I can't even keep up with them. But the the interesting thing about that is, even if they haven't met some of these people on a meetup, they might have an opportunity to work with them later. We always right. try to give opportunities to to change teams so that people are always working something that motivates them. And they probably interacted with those people on one of those SIG chat channels or met them in a meetup. So there's there's a connection there still, just as if you bumped into them in a physical office space. Mm. And, and ahead, one thing we we actually recommend in the book is that we you bring your teams together for a week or two at the very beginning, if you can, or at some point during the project, so that they can learn how to work as a team without the forces of distance and time separating them. Mm-hmm. So how do you learn how to work? How do you know that I am an eye roller and sarcastic <laughs> and Mark is this easygoing guy without um, making it easy for us to learn that? Mm-hmm. Wait, we already knew a little bit about that, about each other before we started to write together. But we learned a lot more about that oh, yeah. as we as we wrote together. So we we already had trust and psychological safety. But if you if you just say you 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 and you you're a team, oh, right. I don't know how you do that. Interesting. Yeah. So there's definitely the the connect between people, right? So the water cooler, the coffee corner area. There's got to be space like this because it cannot be all like. You know, work, 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 and uh, coming to this work, work, work thing is this is one thing. Uh, follow the sun, uh, like you know, like aligning work according to time zones. Is that basically debunked for creative, innovative work? Is that is that still something you found in your research for this book? Uh, the teams are still doing this. I think this was a 1990s thing, right? Oh yeah, it it was very big in the 90s, and it never really worked. And it can work if you have handoffs. Mm-hmm. But it's not an agile approach. Yes. So you 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 have to decide, do we want the benefits of an agile culture, of an agile approach, or do we want follow the sun? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd, I have not yet seen follow. We have one anecdote of something like follow the sun, but it did not many time zones. Um, I'm. That's all we've ever seen, mm. right? So, uh, I mean, one partial success in over 20 years? Uh, yeah, doesn't uh, justify a, a recommendation for this, uh, for this approach, well, right? Well, yeah, not from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're not, we're not going to say that, you know, everyone should go distributed. That's not what we're saying. Uh, we, and we know there's others out there that are kind of uh, – Heading that way, I think for us we we haven't really talked about it this way. But as we're talking here, I'm thinking much like in the the mid to to late '90s, where technology was starting to enable new things, and even in the early 2000s, where we started uh, seeing things like the the X unit unit tests and mm-hmm. continuous integration first coming about. Um, the technology started enabling some new things, but it wasn't so much the technology, but how how we took advantage of the technology and really brought collaboration into it. Yeah. So sa- same thing for our teams. If you're spread out across 12 or 13 time zones, I'm sorry, you still don't have a team. You, But if you have 
four to five hours of overlap in your in your working days. And that can depend a little bit on personal preference as well. But if you have that overlap, you can start using agile approaches. Mm-hmm. And agile principles, we feel, still apply because the technology is starting to support that. But again, it's how people use the technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- talking about technology, I mean, there's a there's a lot of tooling out there. Um, uh, chat, video, conferencing. You you mentioned some of the tools in your book you have used. Um, I personally, uh, I feel like there is so many tools right now out there, and personal preferences. Is there some form of standardization necessary for distributed teams, or like will will foster usually you know self organization on an agile team as a as a key thing? But um, does there, is there any kind of tooling standards necessary for teams to effectively communicate with each other? And obviously, then when the personal preferences come in, you know, we're, we're recording here with the software, uh, then not, might not everybody like that, or some of the team members are not allowed to use that behind a firewall, et cetera, et cetera, all that kind of um, tooling craziness. Uh, what, what's your take on that tooling? Let me let me start that, Mark, because mm-hmm. I have I, I, I had have a feeling any... you would. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, the t- as long as the team creates its own workspace and the team agrees, here's what our board is and here's how we will use it. I'm fine with that. Um, I think every team needs a persistent chat channel mm-hmm. that's separate from any audio visual tool because you want to be able to look back at the chat channel and say oh three days ago johanna said something about that i need to go back and look at that mm-hmm. right that's the persistence is really important so i as long as as the team has access to some form of video and some form of audio, and everybody has equal access to start up a meeting, then I'm I'm okay with whatever they choose. But too often I see organizations say, you must use this kind of a board, you must use that kind of an audio or visual exactly. tool, mm-hmm. and, and you don't have the capability to start up a meeting. That does not create a team environment. Mm-hmm. That creates a hierarchical environment, which does not serve anybody at any time. Mm-hmm. Certainly not an agile team. Right. Right. Because if you have to, if you have to wait on somebody to start the meeting because they have the only license for the meeting tool, <laughs> that that's going to be a blocker to any any team that wants to have, especially an agile team that might want to have an ad hoc design session after stand-up. Hey, you know, we're, we're on now. Let's jump in. Oh, we can't because so-and-so is not here with the, the meeting tool. So th- mm-hmm. those, those are the kind of things that we find problematic. Also, I don't know that I would see standardization across the industry yet. I think the industry is still trying to explore yeah. what's going to support the collaboration. But companies can standardize on a collection of tools and there might be some overlap in the tools. So right. for instance, some of the organizations I work with, they'll, they'll have two or three different meeting tools. Mm-hmm. Why? Because if one dies, you know, the service goes down, the teams can quickly go into their, their chat channel that 
that Johanna was mentioning and say, okay, let's fire up this one and jump mm-hmm. back into the meeting. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my teams, when that happens, they might be disconnected, the entire team, for less than a minute. So mm-hmm. think of all the times that you've been booted out of a conference room. Have you been able to get into a new one to continue your co-located team meeting in less than a minute? Right. I've not been able to, to beat that one. Right. But it's, it, but it's allowing that, that standard and somewhat overlapping collection of tools that allows the team to keep moving forward no matter what it is. Right. So they have this opportunity to collaborate and when they decide as a self-managing team mm-hmm. that it's time to collaborate. Right. So, so it's not so much about the standardization as an industry or as a, as a company, even though I totally get it, right? So there's, there's even that extra layer of a large company says we bought for, you know, uh, 5,000 licenses for discounted mm-hmm. price yeah. and stuff like that. We want yeah. you to use yeah. that license. But then even sometimes, even if you take that barrier off, like even within the teams, there are, you know, it's almost religious wars around what chat service to use or, you know, what kind of video system to use. So um, at some point, I think what Johanna is saying is that there has to be some form of agreement on something, right, to effectively yeah. communicate. Um, um, now, the next thing I wanted to explore with you is uh, something you might think, oh, my God, Joe is going into nitty-gritty details here, but it is one I'm, I'm interested. So somebody in a co-located environment walks into the office in the morning and really no verbal exchange. Uh, but I do know the person just entered the room, right? So I know the person is there. Just put the laptop down or something like that. Um, in a distributed environment, and that, that goes to the question, we might not have that kind of event. Um, I might, in a co-located environment, I might go um, to office anytime between 9 and 10 in the morning or 8 and 9 in the morning, right? It's just that these are just my hours. I'm not really on the spot at 9.25 every single day. Um, but then obviously in a distributed environment where we might not be in the same time zones with overlaps, etc., that might cause an, a possible challenge. I don't know if you encountered any of that and, and what your advice would be. So we, we strongly advocate that a team create working agreements about their hours. And we offer a tool in the book called the, the Seeing Your Hours of Overlap time zone chart. Mm-hmm. And we, we used a spreadsheet. We used a Google Sheet so that we could see what were the hours of overlap, especially if people want to take time off at lunch or if they're um, – we're, we happen to be recording this at a time of year when the U.S. has moved to daylight saving time, mm-hmm. and I believe Europe has not yet. That's right. So, um, so we are – that would change the hours of overlap for a given team. So if you always have a time zone chart and you always keep it up to date and people know – you arrive at work sometime between 8.30 and 9 or 9 and 10, whatever it is. As long as people know what the team's working agreements are mm. and they can see the hours of overlap, then the team might even have an agreement to say, um, uh, do a little high on chat when you check in, mm-hmm. when you're here. Right. right. That it might be something as simple as that. We might just assume everyone's in when they say they're going to be in. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's I think it's not as difficult as it as it might be. Right, but it requires but discipline, not, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it does 
required discipline, and it's not the same as a co-located team. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Right. Yeah. So it, it really, in a way, it, it kind of brings back the, the old concept of the, the in-out board that you used to see in, in office spaces, mm-hmm. but not necessarily a set eight-hour day. Instead, that's again, we, we encourage the team setting some core hours that works based on that overlap. But then they're they're free. Team members are free to do what they need to do as long as they're making commitments to to each other on the team on what they're looking to accomplish each day and how they're contributing to the team's goals. Mm-hmm. And if you get a team that adheres to that discipline, and we find many of our distributed teams do, then they can have the flexibility and also still be available to each other for whatever collaboration is needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, that, that's a very good point. I do want to um, explore a little bit with you towards our end of our podcast here, a, a topic around, a, a, your book is all about Agile, but uh, I'll just take an example here out of a very specific role, very popular role in Agile processes of a Scrum Master. Um, Scrum Masters, you know, very often we see them walk around with a pad of uh, post-it notes and Sharpies and um, they facilitate and they work the room and they make things transparent on paper products. How is their work, um, not even in a dispersed team, but just in a distributed team, uh, possibly two locations, even if they're in the same time zone, how is how's their work impacted from a facilitation's perspective and, and what kind of advice do you have? I'll take that one. <laughs> so, so that'll be the next book. No, but, uh, so, but, but, but actually, you know, we had some of that in this book and we, we had to, to cut it out due to uh, the, the book was getting quite lengthy, but there, the, the techniques are similar, but it's, it's more of a, a mental shift of what space are you holding? What space are you facilitating? So if you are in a conference room where some of the team is with you, but some are remote, you are not facilitating in that conference room. You're facilitating in the larger virtual space. And so as part of that, you've, you've got to do some prep work ahead of time and how you, how you connect people. And at the same time, you should collaborate on that. So some of the things that I've been speaking about, and I think we, we might even talked about this in the, in the last podcast you and I did, is how do you get members of the team to help you with parts of that facilitation and collaboration? So one example is using a buddy system. Mm-hmm. So when I've had that scenario where some are in the conference room and some are remote, I'll ask, can, can each person in the room connect with each other remote? people and watch on that chat channel that we have if they're having any difficulty connecting if they're having difficulties breaking in on the audio if if they can't do video or if video is not available you are their lifeline you are representing you're the proxy for that remote person that helps several people in the room focus on the remote and it's not just the facilitator doing that. Mm. So you've got several people now focusing on the larger space. As far as exercises and techniques, again, th- there's, there's so much tooling out there now, not all of it great, but some of it's getting very good. 
I will say, yeah. that you can run many exercises. So many exercises I've run co-located, I have adapted to online, and I've got examples of that on my my website that I can point people to. Mm-hmm. But really, it's thinking about, all right, what, what do I need to have it, as far as space available? What do I ha- need as a virtual whiteboard? What do I need for Post-it notes? And I still have the I still have many of those same exercises available to me. I can mm-hmm. do even, um, you know, collaborative, some collaborative drawing. As, as Johanna and I said at the beginning, that one's probably the biggest obstacle right now. So I'm still looking for the best virtual whiteboard. That's, that's still a bit of a, yeah. a hurdle there. But as far as other exercises I've done, I, I've, done, I've adapted many things, many exercises to online. Mm-hmm. And I, I am going to be writing about that more too. Mm. Yeah, I even uh, and what, go ahead, China. And what I found is that the Scrum Master really has to act as much more of a coach and facilitator, because um, otherwise you lose the agile approach. Mm. It becomes mm-hmm. a lot more command and control. That's right. And yeah. I think it's so hard for especially new Scrum Masters to say. How do I facilitate the people as opposed to impose help on them? Because mm-hmm. especially, I mean, I will freely admit this. Back in my early swim days, I was kind of an imposer because I had all the answers. I know you're so, oh, so surprised to hear me say this. Um, but but yeah. it's once I, I, move, I move from imposing help to really facilitating other people the team got a lot better so everything is well maybe almost everything all the techniques you use now as a facilitator will work but how you apply them is really different mm. yeah yeah that's just an it's an awesome point i was uh going through your book and there's some things I, I just, you know, ob- they're obvious, right, uh, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. the positives, right, but it's just good to put them back out as reminders, like one of them was just the traffic situation, uh, you know, traffic jams, uh, going to work, um, so that is a, a positive about distributed work, and uh, you could almost argue it's environmentally friendly, right, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of, a lot of uh, positive things associated with uh, distributed work. Um, I, I did have obviously some, some, uh, challenging questions here. I have questions I might, you know, people typically ask me when I work with and things I could imagine people saying, um, but this was an opportunity for everybody here on Angela FM to meet the authors, Johanna Rothman and Mark Kilby, who wrote the, uh, book from chaos to successful distributed agile teams, collaborate to deliver. This is out on bookstores. Um, I put all these links to the book and uh, Mark's site and, and so forth on the show page on agile.fm. And uh, this was awesome. This was a great appetizer for taking a deeper dive into the book. And as Mark just said, it's it's already a lengthy book. There's a lot to write about. And uh, I think one thing we can say is uh, at the end, it's a distribution. And uh, maybe this is more like asking for agreement or not. Um, Distribution works in agile teams, uh, but there is an there's an extra effort to be made, and uh, it works differently than just taking a team and distributing it. Excellent summary. Thank you, mm-hmm. Joe. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon. Thank you.